It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. Pistons fans, you got to be happy about what's going on right now with this basketball team, and we welcome you into another edition of Wired, the Pistons podcast. Indeed, it is Matt Derry talking Pistons basketball with you once a week right here on Pistons.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up on the program here today, we'll talk to ESPN sideline reporter, analyst, reporter, George Sedano. You'll see him on uh, Friday night's ESPN game, Houston and Philly, on the sidelines as he'll work alongside Mark Jones and Doris Burke. George is everywhere along the ESPN platforms, and we'll talk to him about what's going on with the Pistons, what's going on around the league. George is also stationed out in L.A., so we'll get into a little bit of LeBron James and the Lakers with him as well, as that is an absolute dumpster fire out there. But what is not a dumpster fire are your Detroit Pistons. Boy, oh boy, has this been a fun stretch, as fun a stretch as we've seen in Pistons basketball in a long, long time. A time of recording here. The Pistons sit at 32-31, and 31, fresh off a pretty big win Wednesday night over Minnesota at Little Caesars Arena. A come-from-behind win in which the bench gave him a huge spark in the first half, and then the starters picked it up in the second half. The Pistons put up a 130-burger on Minnesota, and they have now won 10 of their last 12, 8 of their last 10, 3 in a row, and they sit in a tie. Well, they actually have a, a percentage point lead over Brooklyn in the race for the sixth playoff spot in the East, that sixth seed. But the Pistons are in right now. The way they are playing, and certainly when you talk about Detroit, 15 and a half games back of Milwaukee for the top spot in the Eastern Conference. But you look at those games back, and you figure, here's Orlando sitting at the nine spot right now, a game back of Miami. But the Pistons hold a three and a half game lead over Orlando for a playoff spot. So Detroit, I think they're going in. I think they're getting in, and I think this is going to happen. And now we kind of shift to, okay, what kind of a seeding is this going to be? What kind of a team is this team going to be come April? Are they going to be playing like they played earlier in the year in April and into May, hopefully? Or is this basketball team going to be playing like they've played in February and March? A light switch has come on since the All-Star break. I think everybody can agree, yes, the schedule might have been a little bit easier lately. But you know what? You can't argue with the results. Reggie Jackson's playing good basketball. Andre Drummond, this is the Andre Drummond we've been waiting for. Luke Kennard all of a sudden hitting over 50% of his threes and is becoming a serious weapon off the bench for Dwayne Casey. It's been fun. It's been very fun. And now with a home-and-home against the Bulls coming up, this team can continue to build on this. And I think all Pistons fans are hopeful, hey, if they finish sixth, and they draw Indiana, who currently sits at number three, a game up on Philadelphia. Indiana's without Victor Oladipo. I'm not telling you that the Pistons are going to beat the Pacers in the playoffs, but you want the most favorable matchup possible. Detroit got swept by Milwaukee. You don't want to finish eighth. Does Dwayne Casey really want to go back to Toronto and deal with the Raptor fans? And There have been two very entertaining games between the Pistons and Raptors this year. But the Raptors, the last time out at Little Caesars Arena, took the Pistons to overtime before losing, and that was without Kawhi Leonard. Philly, we know about Embiid and Andre Drummond and that rivalry, and Boston's as good as anybody once the playoffs come with Brad Stevens. But the one team that might be beatable in round one would be Indiana, and and, and a team that plays so well together, but again is without their all-star guard, Victor Oladipo. Uh, By the way, I've never thrown this out uh, here on Wired, but if you ever want to get a hold of me, 
You can via Twitter at Dairy Speaks, D-E-R-Y Speaks, or check me out on the Matt Dairy Facebook fan page. Love last night after the game. A quote here. We're going to play the soundbite from Pistons head coach Dwayne Casey, who's done a whale of a job here in the first year in kind of keeping the ship righted throughout some, some murky waters this season. But Dwayne Casey was kind of asked last night about how this team was playing early in the game, why they were down double digits in the first half to an undermanned and and certainly an inferior Minnesota Timberwolves team, even though they got some pretty good talent there, including Cat, Carl Anthony Towns. But I love the mindset of Coach Casey and how he's talking about this team playing for something other than just you know a, a, a mid-week March home game and the dog days of the NBA season. Take a listen to Dwayne Casey after the game. Uh, and, and just listen to his mindset as he talks about getting a victory and, and what the ultra focus is of his basketball team. The starters are playing in mud. Uh, I told him they owed us one. You know, the game started at, uh, I think they thought the game started at eight instead of seven. So, uh, but again, the second unit did a great job of coming in and changing the game and giving us a spark. Um, you know, it's a tough time of the year, but again, we got to understand. We're playing for something. We're playing for something special. And every game, every possession, you know, any anytime you're on the court, you've got to get a find the energy somewhere, somehow, some way. I love it. Dwayne Casey talking about playing for something special. Again, for years, the Pistons haven't really played for anything. And it was it's been a, a disastrous little mini run here for this team. But now under this this leadership with Ed Stefanski and, and with the front office that this team has, and we talked about it last week, and now with Dwayne Casey and, and Blake Griffin leading the way, and certainly a rejuvenated Andre Drummond, you know, Dwayne Casey's looking up saying, we're playing for something here. This is meaningful. This is special to get into the postseason and get into the tournament. And I think that's something that fans are starting to notice, media is starting to notice, is that it starts at the very top. The fish rots from the head. When the head coach is somebody that's respected by the group and he's talking about, hey, let's not mail in a Wednesday night home game in the freezing cold of Detroit against Minnesota. Let's play for something. It's motivating this group. And in winning the game on Wednesday night, 131-114, you saw what Andre Drummond did with 31 points, 15 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 blocks, and a steal. And oh, by the way, 8 out of 10 from the foul line. And Andre has been a guy, and I've known him since he was a rookie. He's been here seven years. He's been a guy that has been maligned. He's been a guy that has been dissed. He was snubbed for the All-Star game this year. And Nick Nick Vucevic from Orlando was taken instead. In his last 16 games, Andre Drummond's been on a mission. When have we said that before? 21-16, two blocks, two steals, shooting 62%. And oh, by the way, shooting 70% from the free throw line. That's unbelievable. And last night again, 31 and 15, when they need a basket, he's there on the interior. He's blocking shots. He's active. You're not seeing slumped shoulders. You're not seeing uh, uh, missed free throws. You're not seeing jogging back on defense. This guy is playing the best basketball of his career. Remember, he got into the league in 2012-2013. He's been around now seven years, but he's growing up. And if this is a motivated Andre Drummond, and I don't know if it's the Vucevic snub, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, when, 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 when Blake Griffin got angry after uh, uh, the game, the win down in New Orleans, and Reggie Jackson was clowning around on, the, on camera, and maybe Blake's comments fired Andre up. 
But the bottom line is this. Andre just says he's found a rhythm and he's playing good basketball. This has to continue because it's fun. And he's playing the kind of brand of basketball that you expected when he was drafted number nine by by Joe Dumars. And, And at seven feet tall, if he's able to do this, this will open things up on the outside for his teammates. And, man, we can take a deep breath and go, it's a playoff team every year, and it's a team that can build. And we won't be talking about trade rumors and and, 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 and Andre's name being floated out there. He would be a guy that would be earning his keep, makes $25 million a year, but a dominant presence on the interior going with Blake Griffin and Reggie Jackson and Luke Kennard and, and the rest. And we could have something here. It's been a lot of fun. There's no question about it. All right, our guest this week on Wired, the Pistons podcast, George Sedano from ESPN. You'll see him on the sidelines with Mark Jones and Doris Burke from Houston for the Friday night game between the Rockets and the Sixers. He's all over the network talking NBA, and he joins me now. What's up, George? Matt, I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good talking to you again. Back at you, my friend. Uh, Long time you and I have been together uh, chatting NBA from our pre- and post-game days. Of course, with the Pistons, you with the Heat. Now, Now you're based out of L.A. where you could talk about LeBron every day. Yeah, it's my second uh, tour of talking LeBron every day, so uh, there's never a lack of content, let's just say that. Man, oh man, Uh, quickly before we get to the Pistons, uh, you know, LeBron overtakes Jordan uh, on Wednesday night, become the the fourth all-time leading scorer. How did that play out there? Look, I I haven't done my radio show as of the recording of this podcast, so I don't know what the reaction is necessarily, but it felt a little empty to me, Matt. I think maybe the circumstances um, made it feel that way because they're not in the playoffs or they won't be in the playoffs. I think that plays a factor. Look, it's an amazing accomplishment, right? This is a career accomplishment. LeBron's career has been fantastic. But I just think this year has been so strange. I think this whole Lakers thing has been ill-conceived from the get-go. He wanted to come here with a blank canvas, which I kind of understood, but it's not really the way LeBron has worked in the past. He went to Miami. He went there with Bosh and Wade. He went to Cleveland. There was Kyrie and Kevin Love, two all-stars already at the time. Uh, The other two guys in Miami, Wade was a surefire Hall of Famer at the time. Bosh, in retrospect, is a surefire Hall of Famer. So it was weird that he was coming here with nobody. So... That already was weird. Then the roster construction, there's this kind of misfit casts of veteran guys on this roster. And there's these young guys that he has very little connectivity to. And that's not LeBron. The LeBron I knew, particularly in Miami, he was the best teammate there was. Now, granted, he was surrounded there by his peers and guys he looked up to, like Ray Allen and Shane Battier and whatnot. But even in Cleveland, even with the stuff and the drama that he had there, there was much more of it certainly than there was in Miami, he still was always considered a great teammate. And here I think it's the first time where we're questioning, is he a great teammate? Has he really connected properly with his teammates, the city, things of that nature? I think all those things are in question, and it made at least, to me, it made it feel like it was a little hollow yesterday when Contavious Caldwell Pope and Alex Caruso are the guys congratulating him on the floor. It just felt weird. <laughs> I was actually watching the game last night, uh, Wednesday night, and I, to be honest, when Caruso's on the floor, I'm like, this roster is it's terrible. I, that's just me. I, not, 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 not to pick on Alex Caruso, but man, oh man, you'd figure 
a LeBron James roster at least. And I understand it's year one, and eventually Anthony Davis will get there. But that's that's not really a very good basketball team, George. No, and look, Alex Caruso is a two-way G League player that just got called up recently because of injuries. But for the most part, even the original incarnation wasn't great, right? I mean, Rajon Rondo has been tabbed as this leadership guy, and we saw what happened there at the end of that game. He's sitting there by himself on the bench. It, it was it was ridiculous. Mark Jackson on the ESPN broadcast just yeah. destroyed him, and deservedly so. And look, I was... I questioned basically every move Magic Johnson made this summer outside of acquiring LeBron James. None of them made sense to me. None of them were the way that you would construct the LeBron James team. If you go to the end of his first Cleveland tenure, they kind of figured out you got to surround him with shooters. Miami did as great a job as anyone doing that. And then Cleveland, the second time around, did an excellent job with it as well. And Magic tried to zig while everyone's zagging. And the weird part about it is... Magic Johnson is about as close as we could get to LeBron James as a player. LeBron is a much better shooter than Magic was. But I'm talking about stylistically. LeBron is a pass-first type guy. Magic was that guy. Magic played with a lot of players who could either get to the basket very easily or could shoot the ball pretty well. Uh, Guys like Byron Scott and whatnot, he was surrounded by some pretty good spot-up shooters in his day. For him to construct this team, knowing that he's also – as close to LeBron uh, stylistically as we've seen, even though it's not a complete apples-to-apples comparison, I thought that was strange. None of this made sense, man. It, it was wild from the get-go. Uh, again, I thought it was completely ill-conceived. You, know, you go back to like early November and December, the Lakers were playing pretty well, and the Pistons were, were kind of down in the dumps. Blake Griffin carrying the team for long stretches. Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson kind of disappointments. All of a sudden, here's Detroit, winners at 10 at 12, George, what, what are you seeing with the Pistons right now? And do you think, you know, are they going to finish sixth in the East? Are they that are they that good to do that and be better than teams like Brooklyn, Miami, and Charlotte? Matt, they have the talent to finish sixth. I don't think there's any doubt. They're more talented than Miami and than Brooklyn than Charlotte than Orlando and those teams that are below them. So, yes, I think they should finish there. They're playing great basketball, as you mentioned. And particularly, they're playing great basketball – not just because Blake Griffin is performing at a high level, as he has pretty much the entire season, or Andre Drummond, who's performed much better, basically, you know, since Christmas time. But Reggie Jackson in the month of February, unbelievable, right? Like shooting 45% from three, averaging about 20 points per game. And let's not forget Luke Kennard, who basically since the All-Star break, again, small sample size, we're only talking about two or three weeks, but he's shooting like 50% from three at about 17 points per game. That's the big reason why the Pistons have surged, because the other guys are finally kind of pulling their weight. Yeah, you mentioned Blake before, and he's had a terrific season, but they're starting to win games now, George, where he doesn't have to carry the water for 48 minutes. And, you know, you were around him in L.A. for a little bit. Um, did you expect this kind of resurgence? And, and, and is he a guy that sticks and stays in Detroit throughout his contract and kind of rallies an organization? I think... He'd want to stay there. I think he'd like to be remembered somewhere as someone who could make an impact. And look, I've always been a huge fan. I think his biggest problem has been injuries. But people forget it was now almost four seasons ago. Chris Paul missed six or seven weeks for the Clippers one season. And Blake Griffin carried them. He finished in the top five in MVP voting, I believe, that year. 
And he was fantastic. He was doing everything. He could handle the ball. He was a great distributor. He was a scorer, rebounder, playing defense. He was phenomenal. And now, at this stage of his career, he's really done a much better job of opening up his game. Three-point shot. And it's not just the catch-and-shoot variety. Step-back versions, off the dribble, in transition. He's become a more complete player as he's lost a tiny bit of his athleticism, as any player would at, at this stage of their career. So I do believe that he's always been capable of. We're just seeing it manifest itself now in Detroit. George Sedano, ESPN NFL uh, NBA analyst and reporter uh, with me here on Wire, the Pistons podcast. As the Pistons have won 10 of 12, George, you mentioned Andre Drummond before. I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. Uh, you know, the light coming on, snubbed maybe for the All-Star game, and Nick Vucevic goes instead of him. But you mentioned before he's been a dominant force inside. Does this continue the rest of the way for him? Yeah, I believe so. I don't see why not. Um, you know, he's capable of being this guy. Look, there's a reason Stan Van Gundy drafted him um, where he did. Dan Van Gundy drafted him because he thought he could be the next Dwight Howard. Now, I know people listening may think and, and, and laugh when they hear the name Dwight Howard, Dwight Howard, but you and I know, Matt, Dwight Howard's a Hall of Famer, no matter what happens here with the rest of his career. And Dwight Howard, at one point, was good enough to lead a team to the finals, and that's what Stan saw in, in Andre Drummond. So he certainly has that kind of ability, and, and I think that, again, he just has to have the right people around him to be able to kind of open his game up even further. And, and, and again, it's not just Blake. Blake has done a fantastic job with him, but it's Reggie Jackson playing at a high level. It's Luke Kennard playing at a high level. That just makes things easier for him to operate. Drummond, that is. Should, should Dwayne Casey, who won Coach of the Year last year, get some Coach of the Year consideration this year for what's going on here? Yeah, sure. I don't think there's any doubt that, that he deserves some consideration. Look, Budenholzer's probably going to be the guy, but but I don't think that, that, that Dwayne shouldn't get at least some consideration. And you guys got really lucky. Look, I like Stan a lot. I'm in the tank for Stan. I've known Stan for a really, really long time, going back to my Miami days. I think Stan's problem was, and this isn't something I haven't said to him, that I just think that, and, and he, by the way, will push back on this, obviously, I just think that doing both jobs, president and coach, is just too difficult. Even a guy like Pat Riley has always told me that that job is very difficult because those jobs, at times, are going to have to be diametrically opposed. So I think Stan's still a good coach. Had Stan just coached, I think that the Pistons would still be in a, in a great position. I just think that, again, it was kind of a weird circumstance there. Um, but uh, you guys lucked out. You got a guy that... He's one of the better coaches in the NBA, as you pointed out. One coach of the year. I mean, he's fantastic and a great dude. And defensively, one of the better coaches we've had, basically, in this particular generation. Tom Thibodeau gets a lot of recognition for that. But Dwayne Casey is the reason that LeBron James doesn't have an extra title. Um, because he's the reason that the Dallas Mavericks won that title against the Miami Heat in 2011. You, know, you mentioned defense a little bit, George. We're talking to George Sedano from ESPN. You know, the, 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 right now we're seeing scores. The Pistons put up 130 the other night. 
Uh, not a lot of guarding. The team you cover on a daily basis and see, uh, you know, in your backyard, the Lakers, they don't guard anybody. And how much does that change? And how much is it that, oh, my goodness, I'm not saying the Pistons are going to be the bad boys again or, or the going-to-work crew that won the championship, but they're actually getting in front of some people now defensively, and there's not a lot of teams doing a lot of guarding right now, right? Yeah, for sure. That's just not the way the league works. The league is about pacing and tempo and making sure you play as fast as possible. So it makes it much more difficult to play defense. And, and it's, it's just, again, not necessarily on the players, um, but to play defense for 48 minutes like that, as you referenced, the bad boy Pistons or, you know, the 90s Knicks or Heat with Pat Riley or Larry Brown's Pistons even, um, that, those days are just done. Like, you can see defense in stretches, maybe towards the end of quarters, end of games particularly. That's when you're going to see defense to tighten up. Um, maybe much more so in the playoffs as things tend to slow down a little bit in the postseason. So, yeah, it's just we're not in that era anymore. Um, It's going to be defense in just spurts and moments, which still can be interesting to me. Um, But I do think that Dwayne is still one of the best to do it. So that's why I'm not surprised that the Pistons have moments where they, they play really good defense. Walk me through the scenarios here because, you know, this... We've been doing this podcast for a couple of months, and it was, will they make the playoffs? Now it's kind of what seeding are they going to get? And, and, and the discussion can even be pushed forward with the way they're playing now. What if they finish sixth and Indiana finishes third? And I think everybody thought when Oladipo went down that Philly would leapfrog him or Boston, and Indiana is staying at three. Do the, you, know, you look at a Pistons-Pacers matchup, could this be a closer series than people think? Oh, yeah, I don't think there's any question that's a favorable matchup. Now, look, we talked about Coach of the Year candidates. Nate McMillan is in that category as well. Uh, look, they've been able to maintain the three spot to this point, considering they don't have Oladipo. That's just amazing uh, what he's been able to accomplish there with those guys. But, um, yeah, look, if I'm picking a team I want to face in the Eastern Conference, it's them. They don't have their best player, and when you're – you know this as well as anyone, Matt. Once you get to the playoffs and you're sitting there – and you're um, dissecting a team's tendencies night in and night out, and you can make real adjustments, and you can actually um, game plan for a team unlike the regular season, all that stuff um, makes it a lot easier to kind of pinpoint what the problems would be with the Pacers. So, yeah, if I'm any of the teams in the Eastern Conference, I'd love to have Indiana in the first round. So you're saying finish sixth. Uh, How big of a gap would you say is there between Milwaukee and Toronto and everybody else? Well, I don't think there's a big gap between the top four, to be honest with you, if they're healthy. I think with the Celtics, the big problem is Hayward's consistency. Now, we've seen it back-to-back nights. If you can see Gordon Hayward do what he's done the last two games, uh, then I absolutely think that, that Boston can be the team that can come out of, out of the East. But if he doesn't give you that, and I think that's been the crux of a lot of their problems, I know everyone points to Kyrie, which, look, deservedly so. Kyrie uh, deserves a lot of the grief that he's been getting from the media. I don't understand what his problem is, to be honest with you. But but on the court, Gordon Hayward's been the biggest issue for the Celtics because he hasn't given them what they've expected out of him because he's been just trying to recover from that injury. It just hasn't been easy for him. What would making the playoffs do for some of the young guys on this Pistons team? Because, of course, there's been that argument out there about you know lose games and tank and go after Zion and, and hope you get a ping-pong ball bounce your way or... You know, get into the playoffs, and even if you lost in the first round, from your experiences, George, talking to players, what does it mean to at least have that that tread on your tire a little bit with the playoffs? 
Oh, it's huge because it, it's just such a different game. It, it is. It, it's not even comparable regular season NBA basketball to the postseason. For some of the stuff that we outlined, the game planning, um, all the tactics and schematics that get involved in it, um, you know, the physicality of it, all of it. It just everything ramps up. So just having that experience is immeasurable, really. All right, final thing. Give me some predictions here. How do you look at the East shaking out in terms of when we get to June, and what about out West? So I like Boston if Hayward, as I mentioned, can be consistent. If he's not consistent, I think we're looking at Milwaukee or Toronto. Um, Man, I've been looking at reasons to not pick Milwaukee, and I'm finding less and less of them. I've seen Toronto a bunch of times. I'm good on them. I think they can potentially be in the conference finals because Kawhi is that good. I just don't trust that they have a second scorer that you can rely on night in and night out. Lowry, I like him personally, but we know he's disappeared in the postseason. So if Boston doesn't get it together, I I think Milwaukee's probably the team that comes out of the East. I think the Warriors and Rockets are going to meet again again, Excuse me, in the conference finals. I think we're going to have another epic conference finals in the West. I think the Warriors can pull it out. But I think the Warriors are not going to have an easy route to winning a championship. I think that the Rockets will push them to six or seven games. I think whoever comes out of the East, to be honest with you, for the most part, can push them to six or seven games. And if you get to game seven, look, we saw it in 2016 with Cleveland. Anything can happen. George, great catching up, my friend. Uh, Have a great call tomorrow night. You got it, Matt. Thank you, buddy. Anytime. There he is, George Sedano from ESPN. Check him out on Friday night's Houston-Philly game. He'll be on the sidelines working the uh, contest for ESPN. George used to do pre-half and post for the Heat when I did pre-half and post for the Pistons, and we had many a crossover and an opportunity to talk to each other, and George is doing well, hosting an afternoon drive show in L.A. and working for ESPN covering the NBA. All right, thanks to you for listening. Let's keep this up. Pistons are playing great basketball, winners of 10 of 12, And it's been fun, certainly, to watch. This has been another installment of Wired, the Pistons podcast, brought to you by Jeep. My name is Matt Derry. We'll talk to you again next week.